Chapter Four, Part Three of the Brown Book of the Hitler Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio. InterfaceAudio.com. Brown Book of the Hitler Terror by Lord Marley. Chapter Four, Part Three. The Hunt for Accomplices. The Conti Service of the official Wolf Telegraph Bureau announced on March fourth, nineteen thirty-three, that the Communist Reichstag deputy Schumann, at a communist election meeting at Garen, Thuringia, on February twenty-fourth, foretold the burning of the Reichstag building. Schumann's actual words are reported to have been this evening the reichstag will be in flames but that makes no difference if this dance hall is burnt down then we will get a swung floor the vosishi zeitung of march fifth nineteen thirty three states a report was sent out from thuringia and further broadcast by wireless to the effect that the district authorities in arnstadt in thuringia were in possession of a report relating to a communist election meeting held at garen on the evening of the wicked act of arson in the building of the german reichstag that the local police official who was present at the meeting recorded in his report a statement made by the speaker the communist reichstag deputy schumann in which the fire in the reichstag was foretold in advance investigations since made have however as the thuringer allgemeine zeitung now states shown that there is a wireless apparatus in the restaurant where the meeting was held and that the landlord on the basis of the radio announcement had sent to tell the speaker in the course of his speech that the reichstag was on fire it has been established that the police officer concerned made an error of one hour in his report and that schumann only began his speech at about ten fifteen p m it can therefore be taken for granted that he had already heard of the radio announcement that the reichstag was on fire this is the twenty-first contradiction on march seventh nineteen thirty-three the vosich zeitung stated on the basis of information received from the police during six three in the german village of lammerdorf near the belgian frontier a russian emigrant was arrested yesterday evening on suspicion of having been concerned in the burning of the reichstag shortly before his arrest he had dispatched a telegram from a belgian post office to paris the content of which cannot as yet be disclosed on being sent back across the frontier by belgian frontier guards he was arrested on this side of the frontier he admitted during his interrogation that he came originally from russia and had been living for some time in berlin he had severe burns on his arms and legs the mysterious foreigner was today handed over to the criminal authorities he obstinately refuses to say anything more regarding his activities in the capital of the reich and up to the present has not even given his name on March 8, 1933, the Vosich Zeitung printed a statement received from the authorities at Aix-la-Chapelle. Not an accomplice of the Reichstag incendiary. 
the authorities of Aix la chapelle state that the russian citizen who was arrested near freund's house as an incendiary as investigations have shown cannot be implicated the man concerned has been active as a journalist in the communist party for this reason he was expelled from the country a year ago but there is no further evidence against him his expulsion has been carried out this is the twenty-second contradiction did van der lubbe alone start the fire early in march the hitler government sent heisig a detective commissioner to leiden to make investigations regarding van der lubbe's antecedents heisig gave an interview to representatives of the dutch press which was published in a number of papers on march fourteenth this contains the following as for the important questions whether lubbe had assistance or accomplices it is probable that he alone started the fire but that the preparatory measures had been carried out by accomplices this statement absolutely contradicts the official statement made on march first that the simultaneous lighting of the fire at so many points in the gigantic building must have required at least ten persons the judge in charge of the investigation voigt therefore hastened to deny on march fifteenth the statement made by heisig a report has been published in a number of papers that van der lubbe started the fire in the reichstag by himself this is not correct the investigation conducted by the court has given good reason to believe that van der lubbe did not commit the crime on his own initiative in the interests of the investigation details cannot at present be given this is the twenty-third contradiction lubbe's connections with the social democrats the official preussic presidential of february twenty eighth gave the information that in his confession van der lubbe had admitted to connections with the social democratic party on february twenty eighth the executive of the social democratic party issued a statement in the following terms during the night of the twenty seventh twenty eighth february the whole social democratic press of prussia was prohibited for fourteen days the prohibition is based on the statement that an arrested man has confessed that he started the fire in the reichstag building and had previously had a certain connection with the social democratic party the suggestion that the social democratic party would have anything to do with people who set fire to the reichstag is repudiated by the party this statement issued by the executive of the social democratic party was confirmed by a statement made by the examining magistrate judge voigt which was published on march twenty second nineteen thirty three the investigation has so far shown that the dutch communist van der lubbe who was arrested as the person who set fire to the reichstag building was in communication immediately before the fire not only with german communists but also with foreign communists including some who had been condemned to death or to long terms of penal servitude in connection with the explosion in the sophia cathedral in nineteen twenty five the persons concerned are now under arrest the investigation has not produced the slightest grounds for believing that non-communist circles had any connection with the burning of the reichstag 
On February 27th, van der Lubbe is said to have admitted connections with the Social Democrats. On March 22nd, there were not the slightest grounds for believing this assertion. This is the 24th contradiction. Van der Lubbe and the Bulgarians. In the statement referred to above, Judge Voigt declares that van der Lubbe had connections with the people responsible for the Sofia Cathedral explosion. Van der Lubbe had therefore not only performed the miracle of establishing within seven days connections with the leaders of the German Communist Party through communists whom he got to know by accident at a labor exchange. He also succeeded within these seven days in getting into touch with Bulgarians who are said to have been responsible for the Sofia Cathedral explosion. This is the 25th contradiction. The Bulgarians who were arrested and charged with complicity in the burning of the Reichstag are Dimitrov, Popov, and Tanev. George Dimitrov was one of the theoretical leaders of the Bulgarian Communist Party. In 1923, he took part in the rising of the Bulgarian workers, and in 1924, he was sentenced in contumaciam to 15 years hard labor. He has not been in Bulgaria since 1923. He had no part whatever in the Sofia Cathedral explosion. Bourgeois Popov emigrated to Yugoslavia in 1924 and only returned to Bulgaria at the end of 1930. He also was not concerned in the Sofia Cathedral explosion of 1925. The third arrested Bulgarian, Tanev, is merely a worker who was not in any way concerned in the Sofia Cathedral explosion. The aim of the assertion that the arrested Bulgarians had blown up the Sofia Cathedral is quite clear. The Hitler government hoped to produce the impression that the burning of the Reichstag was an international communist plot. This is the 26th contradiction. The judge in charge of the investigation asserted that Dimitrov, had been seen with van der Lubbe at 3 p.m. on February 26th in a restaurant in the Dusseldorferstrasse. The judge also produced a witness who swore that he had seen van der Lubbe with Dimitrov on that date. But the witness disappeared into oblivion shortly afterwards, for Dimitrov was able to prove that on February 26th he had not been in Berlin at all, but in Munich. This is the 27th contradiction. No material for a great communist trial. On March 27th, Judge Voigt stated that a criminal warrant had so far been issued only against van der Lubbe. But on April 3rd, he caused a statement to be circulated that in all, five warrants had been issued in connection with the burning of the Reichstag for van der Lubbe, three Bulgarian communists, and the communist Reichstag deputy, Torgler. Torgler was arrested on February 28th the bulgarians on march third up to march twenty seventh that is to say during the period when the main inquiries were being made no warrants had been issued for torgler and the bulgarians the warrants were issued only when the announcement that the only criminal warrant issued was for van der lubbe had created a sensation in the press of the world this is the twenty eighth contradiction Judge Voigt's statement of April 3rd says that for the time being, only warrants for protective arrest have been issued in respect of a few other suspected persons, 
On June 2nd, it was officially announced that the preliminary investigation conducted by Judge Voigt against the accused van der Lubbe, Torgler, Dimitrov, Popov, and Tanev on charges of setting fire to the Reichstag and high treason was concluded on June 1st. All the documents have now been sent to the Reich Public Prosecutor at Leipzig. On April 3rd, there were still a few other suspected persons. On June 1st, they are no longer there. This is the 29th contradiction. On April 22nd, Judge Voigt authorized the following official statement with regard to the progress of the investigation. The Supreme Court proposes to combine the investigation in the many pending cases of high treason against members of the Communist Party into one single inquiry on a large scale. It is expected that the investigations will be concluded in eight to ten weeks, so that then all the cases of high treason can be dealt with, together by the Supreme Court. The cases concerned are all those arising in connection with the change of government in Germany, that is to say, all crimes during the course of January and February. This will also include the proceedings connected with the act of incendiarism in the Reichstag. This case has so far not made very rapid progress, owing to the fact that the accused, and particularly the Bulgarians, refused to make any statement. The grounds for suspicion of complicity against the Reichstag deputy Torgler have been more securely established. A month later, on May 25th, there was no longer any talk of a great communist trial. The Hitler government was forced to issue, through a parliamentary news bureau, the news, that the trial in connection with the act of incendiarism in the Reichstag will be associated with other cases against communist leaders in a great communist trial, as has been suggested, is not to be expected. The trial of van der Lubbe and his accomplices will come before the Supreme Court as soon as the necessary preliminary labors have been concluded. This is the 30th contradiction. The Volkischer Beobachter, Hitler's official organ, published the following statement on March 3rd as coming from an official source. The chief of the press section of the National Socialist Fraction in the Reichstag discovered a missing pane of the glass roof over the room of the communist deputy Torgler, and after further search discovered a long ladder above it, lying against the window of a communist deputy's room in the second upper story. Detective inspectors immediately instituted a thorough search, for it was here that the incendiaries must have come down before the crime, or got up again after the crime. On March 1st, Goering had declared that the incendiaries had got away through the underground passage, which connects the Reichstag building with Goering's house. This declaration of his confirmed what many people thought, that the Reichstag incendiaries had made their way into the Reichstag through his house, and had escaped through his house. In order to weaken the overwhelming impression caused by Goering's declaration, the chief of the press section of the Nazi fraction in the Reichstag was sent to discover a missing pane and a ladder. The detective force, after three days' thorough search, had failed to see what the sharp eyes of the leader of the press section discovered in a moment. This is the 31st contradiction. Van der Lubbe confesses what is required. 
Dr. Oberforen stated in his memorandum that Goebbels' plan was to start a series of incendiary acts, which were to culminate in the burning of the Reichstag. For incendiary acts, incendiaries are necessary. Vanderlube confesses that he set fire to the Reichstag. Vanderlube confesses that on February 25th he tried to set fire to the Berliner Schloss. In connection with this, the press of February 27th reported. It has only now become known that a small fire broke out on Saturday in an office room on the fifth floor of the Berliner Schloss, which was quickly put out by a fireman stationed on the premises. The origin of the fire is not yet fully explained, but it is thought to have been an act of incendiarism. An hour before the fire started, the caretaker had started his round through the schloss and had even passed through that room. At the time, there was nothing suspicious to be seen. Soon afterwards, the room was in flames. Investigation showed that there was a burning firelighter on the window sill and another under the window and also on the steam pipes. The police investigation has not yet been concluded. Vanderlube confesses that on February 25th he tried to start a fire in the welfare office in Nukulun. Vanderlube confesses that on February 25th he made an attempt to start a fire in the Berlin town hall. This Vanderlube is a real child of the devil. To start fires on one day in three different places in Berlin. And he is a man who only speaks German brokenly. He had only arrived in Berlin on February 18, 1933. Seven days later, he had sufficient knowledge of the place to start fires in the Schloss, in the town hall, and in the welfare office. He only required nine days to learn enough about the Reichstag to enable him to walk in and out as if it were his own house. Vanderlube had to appear as a dyed-in-the-blood communist. Such a communist, as conceived by Dr. Goebbels, must have a forged passport. Consequently, Vanderlube must make some alteration in his name on the passport. The passport was forged by putting two dots over the U, changing it into a U. Vanderlube was only too willing to take communist leaflets into the Reichstag with him. Certainly, no criminal has ever met the police so completely equipped with credentials. A talk with Torgler the day before the Reichstag fire. As chairman of the communist fraction in the Reichstag, Ernst Torgler was often called upon to answer enquiries from the press and from journalists. At a press conference on February 24th, he told the journalists present that the communists had information of an act of provocation planned by the Nazis. He stated that among other plans there was talk of staging an attempt to assassinate Hitler. The whole of the foreign press and a section of the German press published Torgler's statement. Shortly after this conference, the parliamentary correspondent of the Vosich Zeitung, Adolf Philipsborn, arranged an interview with Torgler, and an account of this interview, written by Philipsborn, was published in the Gegen Angriff of July 1st, 1933. It runs as follows. As a parliamentary journalist, I have for many years been in contact with deputies belonging to all parties in the Reichstag. It so chanced that I had arranged an interview with Torgler on February 26, 24 hours before the Reichstag fire. 
Torgler came with his daughter, who is eleven years of age. As the head of his party fraction, I showed him some material on the secret plans of the National Socialists. We then talked for about two hours about the whole political situation. I have never been a sympathizer with the Communist Party, and I referred to a number of weaknesses of the party. Torgler admitted some of the points, but energetically defended the general standpoint of his political friends. Finally, I put the following question to him. There is a rumor going about that the Communists proposed to take some action against the Nazi government before the Reichstag elections, March 5th. Is this true? Torgler. That is nonsense. The government is only waiting for an opportunity to prohibit the Communist Party. Will the Communist leaders call a strike? Torgler. Of course we are calling for a political mass strike as a means of struggle against fascist acts of violence. But we know that this can only be successful if the trade unions withdraw their opposition and line up with us in a fighting front. Can this interview then be summed up by saying that the Communist Party does not intend to take any action which could give the Nazi government the occasion for an offensive against the Marxist working class? Torgler, emphatically and with conviction. Yes, that is the position. We Communists know that by ourselves we are too weak for the fight. We know that Hitler, Goering, and his colleagues are only waiting for some pretext which will give them the opportunity to prohibit the Communist Party and cancel the mandates of party deputies elected to the Reichstag. We know that we are shadowed by spies and that our telephone conversations are listened to. We are not going to run into the trap these gentlemen have prepared for us. On the evening following this conversation, the Reichstag was in flames and a few hours later, Torgler had been arrested as the criminal. I then had the conviction, and still have it, that Torgler told me the absolute truth, and for that reason, although I am an opponent of communism, I am prepared to say it to anyone, including Herr Goering, who knows it better than I do, and to the judges at the trial. Hands off, Ernst Torgler. He is not guilty. The proof of the Nazis' guilt the contradictions in which the Hitler government became entangled in its accounts of the Reichstag fire are by themselves enough to show who were the real incendiaries. But apart from these contradictions, there is direct evidence that the National Socialists were guilty of this act of incendiarism. We do not propose to print here all the evidence which we have at our disposal, but only the most important and striking parts of it. The fire in the German Reichstag was discovered at 9.15. The mass arrests in Berlin began soon after midnight. Almost all the warrants were accompanied with photographs of the accused, and the date of issue was inserted in ink. On February 28th, approximately 1,500 persons were arrested in Berlin alone. Is it possible to fill out 1,500 warrants, sign them, and in the majority of cases attach photographs to them, in three hours? Information which we have received from dismissed police officials provides the explanation of this promptness. The warrants were got ready during the days immediately preceding the burning of the Reichstag. Only the date was not filled in. By the morning of February 27th, all the warrants were ready. They were signed before the date was filled in. 
on february twenty second the prussian government decided to strengthen the police with auxiliary police only members of the so-called national associations that is of the national socialist storm troops and of the stahlhelm were allowed to join the auxiliary police while the control of the auxiliary police was left in the hands of the local authorities the minister of the interior Goering, reserved to himself the right to control them in berlin itself the decision was made public on february twenty seventh the date of the reichstag fire in the first official announcement of the reichstag fire Goering triumphantly stated that the organization of the auxiliary police for which he was responsible had proved to be justified and necessary the national socialist leaders and ministers were not content with setting up the auxiliary police on february twenty seventh the whole of the storm troop forces in berlin were confined to their quarters in barracks a member of the storm troops who left germany at the end of march gave the following information to the paris intransigent at noon on february twenty seventh we received the orders to remain in our quarters until further notice we were strictly forbidden to show ourselves in groups in the streets only our collectors were allowed out with their collecting boxes and a few others were sent on special errands we did not know what was in the wind and we waited until suddenly at ten o'clock in the evening the order came all at the double to the brandenburger tor leave your weapons you are wanted for cordon duty the reichstag is on fire the berlin leader ernst collected a few of us in the tavern at the corner of the wilhelmstrasse and the dorothenstrasse he instructed us to go to various parts of town and to spread in the beer houses and at the street corners the story that the communists had set fire to the reichstag that definite evidence had been found in short the whole story as it appeared in the press the following day at that time it was not yet known that van der lubbe was a dutchman and that deputy torgler had been the last to leave the reichstag this was all told us as an absolute fact and indeed with such definiteness that we all felt violently angry with the incendiaries we rushed out and carried out our tasks with the greatest zeal the more often i told the story the more detailed it became and soon i felt as i had been an eyewitness of the arson group leader ernst has a high position in the hitler hierarchy but it requires more than a group leader's intellectual powers to know by a few minutes after ten p m that torgler had been the last to leave the reichstag group leader ernst was privy to the plan of goebbels and Goering. he was allocated the special task of transforming the stormtroop men into heralds to spread the story of the communist incendiaries hitler betrays himself on february twenty seventh nineteen thirty three fire broke out in the german reichstag on February 27, 1933, although the elections campaign was at its height, the most important National Socialist leaders were in Berlin. On February 27th, Hitler did not speak at any meeting. On February 27th, Goebbels did not speak at any meeting. They were in Berlin with Goering. None of the three had any meeting or any work to do that night. A few minutes after it became known that the Reichstag was on fire, Goering made his appearance on the scene, and Hitler and Goebel were there a few minutes later. Sefton Delmer, 
the berlin correspondent of the daily express one of the few english papers to back hitler was in their company and the report he sent to the daily express is more damaging than any published by papers hostile to hitler sefton delmer describes the scene at the reichstag perhaps twenty to thirty minutes after the fire had been discovered hitler is reported as having turned to von papen and said this is a god-given signal if this fire as i believe turns out to be the handiwork of communists then there is nothing that shall stop us now crushing out this murder pest with an iron fist then turning to sefton delmer he said you are witnessing the beginning of a great new epoch in german history this fire is the beginning the chancellor of the third reich spoke these words at a time when the guilt of the communists could not have been established when vanderlub was only just being interrogated with the help of an interpreter according to unanimous press reports the interrogation of vanderlub which began immediately after his arrest continued into the early hours of the morning vanderlub was arrested at about nine twenty p m at the time when hitler spoke the words quoted above vanderlub could not have made his comprehensive confession which might have served hitler as the ground for his accusations against the communists hitler's lack of self-control made him put the blame on the communists a little too early he did not wait for his cue an ally charges the nazis with the act of arson the deutsche allegami zeitung the organ of heavy industry had been demanding since nineteen thirty that hitler should be entrusted with the government heavy industry was then trying to make the german nationalists believe that hitler would be content to share power with them the first weeks of the national government's existence brought out the sharp contradictions within the coalition government oberforen's memorandum shows these contradictions clearly the deutsche allegheny zeitung tried to strengthen the position of the german nationalists in the early stages it spared no criticism of the national government and soon after the reichstag fire when the national socialists became preponderant in the coalition government it even went so far as to assert that Goering's statements were untrue and to express doubts of the guilt of the communists on march second the following appeared in the paper from a political standpoint there is only one quite uncomprehensible point about the reichstag fire that a communist could have been found who was so foolish as to commit the crime apart from a few speeches newspaper articles and proposals put forward up to now we have seen very little of any united front between the communists and the social democrats it is extremely improbable that such a united front could have been widened out to achieve an act of incendiarism in the german reichstag we fear that closer examination of the presuppositions for the well-known statement made by the minister of the interior will show that the charge he made cannot be maintained if that is the case it would have been better not to have raised it this is not from a marxist journal but from the journal of heavy industry a few months after the reichstag fire the deutsche allegami zeitung was brought into conformity its chief editor was removed not before hugenberg also sank into the background but though the article failed to prevent the breakup of the german nationalist party 
it is nevertheless significant that an ally of Hitler should expose Goering's lie and cast doubt on the guilt of the communists. Why did Goering leave the Reichstag unprotected? The messages issued by the official Preussische Presidienste on February 28th stated that among the material found in Karl Leipnacht House, there were instructions for setting fire to the Reichstag. The search of Karl Leipnacht House took place on February 24th. Already on February 24th and 25th, the whole of the bourgeois press was in an uproar over the alleged murderous plans of the communists. The police president of Berlin made a report to Goering on February 26th on the material alleged to have been found in the catacombs of Karl Leibnacht House. As Minister of the Interior, Goering was in control of the Prussian police. As President of the Reichstag, Goering was in control of the Reichstag building. There was no one else in such a position as he was in to protect the Reichstag against any plot. There was no one whose duty to do this was greater than his. Goering neither called on the police to protect the Reichstag, nor did he take any protective measures within the Reichstag itself. If the material alleged to have been found was real, then at the very least Herr Goering was guilty of abetting the crime. The only conclusions that can be drawn from the fact that the document alleged to have been found in the Karl Leipnacht House have not yet been published, as also from the fact that Goering took no steps to protect the Reichstag, is that the material from the Karl Leipnacht House existed only in the reports in the official Preussische Presidienste. The communists neither intended nor did they make any preparations to set fire to the Reichstag. The incendiaries were national socialists. Goering sends home the Reichstag officials. Goering not only took no steps to protect the Reichstag building, he also saw to it that the Reichstag officials left the Reichstag before the normal time for finishing duty. On February 27th, the National Socialist Inspector of the building released the officials on duty at one o'clock in the afternoon. The staff told him that it was contrary to the terms of their employment to leave before the end of their spell of duty. The National Socialist Inspector told them to go off duty, as there was nothing to do. Early in March, the foreign press published the information that the staff of the Reichstag had been released from their duties at an early hour on February 27th. The Hitler government has not dared to deny this. Fire Brigade Director puts the blame on Goering. On March 24th, the surprising announcement was made that the Chief Fire Brigade Director of Berlin, Gemp, had been provisionally granted leave of absence as he had tolerated communist intrigues in the service. The communist intrigues which Gemp was supposed to have tolerated consisted in the fact that in a conference with the inspectors and men of the fire brigade, he had made statements in connection with the Reichstag fire, which threw a curious light on Goering's attitude at the scene of the fire. Gemp's statements concerned the three following essential points. In a conference with his inspectors and officers shortly before his dismissal, Herr Gemp complained that the fire brigade had been summoned too late. This was the only explanation of why a stormtroop detachment, some twenty men strong, was already on the scene of the fire, by the time that the fire brigade at last appeared. 
Herr Gamp complained further that the Minister of the Interior, Goering, had expressly forbidden him to circulate a general call and thereby to summon stronger forces to fight the fire. Finally, Herr Gemp had noticed that in the parts of the Reichstag building which were not destroyed, there were great masses of unused incendiary material lying about. In fact, in various rooms and under and in cupboards, etc., there was material which would have completely filled a lorry. The above report was published in the Sorbuckner Volkstem of April 25, 1933, and thence found its way into the press of the world. Goering did not reply to the report published by the Sorbuckner Volkstem, not even by denying that the report was true. He used it as an opportunity of accusing Gemp of disloyalty. The Deutsche Allegami Zeitung of April 29, 1933, reports how Goering reacted to the disclosure made by the Volkstein. Disciplinary Action Against Director Gemp We have received the following from Commissioner Dr. Lippert. Fire Brigade Director Gemp, Chief of the Berlin Fire Brigade, who was provisionally granted leave of absence by Dr. Lippert, State Commissioner, was accused of having tolerated communist intrigues in the service under his control. Gemp then requested that disciplinary proceedings should be started against him. This request was not granted at the time, in view of the fact that Gemp was suspected of other offenses. Disciplinary proceedings have now been opened against him, as he is charged with dereliction of duty under Section 266 of the Criminal Code, in connection with the purchase of a motor car through one of the functionaries at that time, the Social Democrat Councillor Ahrens. It is not only in the Gemp case that the National Socialists have used the tactics of getting rid of dangerous opponents by means of criminal charges. From the charges brought by Gemp against Goering, it is clear that Goering was interested in the spreading of the fire and not in putting it out. The National Socialists intended to use the Incendiary Act to deal a deadly blow against Marxism. With this in view, it was necessary that the damage done by the fire should be as great and impressive as possible, and therefore it was not to be put out too soon. Three days after the fire, the building was opened for the public to see the effect. The same National Socialist inspector of the building who had sent the staff away early on February 27th was now the official guide through the ruined building. Tens of thousands of people crowded in to see the site. The guide explained, in an expert way, how the fire had been started by the communists, and he did not omit to amplify his description with atrocity stories of what the communists had intended to do. Goering, who had not the courage himself to deny what the Saarbrückner Volkstem reported, compelled Gemp to issue a dementi. Gemp seems to have refused to do so for some time. It was only on June 18, 1933, that a statement by him appeared in the German press, in which he declared that the report published in the Volkstein was false. There is some dementis which established the truth of the report that is denied, and Gemp's delayed dementi is one of this kind. Under the pressure of the charges made against him, and from fear of the sentence of imprisonment with which he was threatened, Gamp gave way to Goering's threats. End of chapter 4, part 3.